This is Wolf's Campfire, and you're about to listen to Three Scary Exorcism Stories. You can also check me out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Wolf's Campfire. With that said, whether you're sitting around a campfire, on the night shift, or even laying in bed, let my voice soothe your nightmares. We had an exorcism for my sister, but something worse happened by horror mode. My mother died when I was six. No one knew what happened. She survived by the three of us. My dad, Nathaniel, my sister, Chansey, and me, Lucas. We were never religious until we were compelled to be. I once read a story on Reddit about a lonely man who didn't believe in God, until one night when he found himself gazing at a skinless, black figure with no eyes standing by his bedroom door. In that moment, he said he had no choice but to pray to God. My dad and I have no idea how Chansey came to be possessed. Yeah, that's right. My sister was possessed by a demon at one point in my life. My uncle and my neighbor were present during the exorcism. We needed the muscle. Father Elio arrived at 10 p.m., Father, bless you and thank you for coming, Uncle Roland said earnestly. He took the priest's coat and closed the front door immediately so as to not allow the night's cold breeze inside. Our home was already cold enough. Nathaniel, everything is going to be fine. Father Elio reassured the mess that was my dad that night. I had never seen my dad sob like that before. His face was as red as a tomato, but every time he caught me looking at him, he pulled himself back together. Father Elio scanned the room in a manner that I can only describe as authoritative. My dad wasn't in control, and my uncle wasn't either. No, it was Father Elio who was in control. And you are? Oh, I'm the neighbor John. Thought you guys could use some help. That's kind of you, John. Thank God. God bless you for this, said Father Elio approvingly, nodding his head. John smiled and seemed to blush like a girl. He is a Catholic man himself. Father Elio is a tall man who stands at six feet and two inches. He had that salt and pepper colored hair that indicated his older age, along with the wisdom that comes with it. Before we go upstairs, the sound of something like heavy furniture moving interrupted Father Elio. All of our eyes snapped up at the closed bedroom door upstairs. My dad motioned to run up there and check on my sister, but was stopped by Uncle Roland, his brother. Once again, the sound of heavy objects in motion rumbled throughout our two-story home. John made the sign of a cross in fear. Sometimes, when I think back on this night, I laugh to myself. Poor John, who was just trying to be a good neighbor, was absolutely petrified, even though he came over voluntarily. And the thing is, he wouldn't leave no matter how scared he was. After all, Father Elio gave him that honorable compliment. What would he think of John if he just got up and booked it? Before we go upstairs, you should all be informed on the same matters. This is not our side tonight, so I cannot explain everything, but I will tell you this. You must not, under any circumstances, speak to it. You are not speaking to Chansey. You are speaking to evil, and you should never speak to evil. 
Whether it asks you a question or taunts you, or whether you yourself wish to ask or taunt it, simply don't speak. We all nodded our heads, and everyone seemed to take the father's warnings as common sense. He continued, Stay away from the window. Again, we all agreed to obey. Now, before we go upstairs, I must warn you of one other thing. Father Elio took a few steps. Now, before we go upstairs, I must warn you of one other thing. Father Elio took a few steps forward and gestured us to come closer. Is there anything that anyone wishes to confess right now? We traded looks of confusion with one another and then set our eyes back on him. You see, demons are spirits, and as such, they know things. Things beyond our comprehension. They don't know everything. No, only God Almighty knows everything. However, for some reason, they know of certain things you may have done throughout your life. And the only way to keep them from exposing those things is to confess that sin. I can't tell you the many times during exorcisms when the deepest and darkest secrets of those in the room were exposed by demons. For some people, it brought them great shame. For others, it ruined their lives. However, if you confess your sins with me, which we can do right now in the kitchen, then that demon upstairs or any other evil spirit in that room has no right to accuse you before God. So please, for your guys' sake, let's get this done. One by one, we walked over to the kitchen, and Father Elio heard our confessions. It took about 15 minutes. Then, we headed upstairs. The bedroom was made as empty as possible, except for a table Father Elio needed for his things. Holy water, Bible, crucifix, and whatnot else. Chauncey wasn't restrained with ropes, as my dad wouldn't allow it. Uncle Roland and John were kneeling down on either side of the bed, and holding on to her wrists. Time was not wasted. Father Elio stood over my sister and began praying, switching words between English and Latin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirits. My dad began crying for my sister as she resisted the words of the priest. She spat on his purple stole and cursed him, saying and uttering things so perverted and so evil all in a voice unlike that of a 19-year-old girl. My dad scratched at his white-brown patch of a beard in distress. Stop it! That's enough, father! My dad suddenly cried out. Uncle Roland gestured to me with a nod of his head to go and comfort my dad, as he and John couldn't let go of my increasingly violent sister. But John almost did let go. Chauncey slowly turned her head towards John, her eyes wide and her lips forming an uncomfortable smile on her pale face. John the cheater! John the cheater! You lying pig! Chauncey yelled at the top of her lungs. Her words echoed loudly against the wooden walls of the empty bedroom. You're gonna tell your wife, Johnny boy? You're gonna tell her what you did with Michelle from work? John looked up at Father Elio for reassurance trying to remember and heed his words from earlier. John put his head down in shame, still gripping Chauncey's left wrist. Was it true? Did John cheat on his wife? I don't know. But man's reaction to strangers exposing their secrets is often telling, and John's reaction was very telling. 
Father Elio flicked more holy water on my sister's face, reminding us all to remember what he said earlier. Ignore. Just ignore. One moment during the exorcism, Uncle Roland and I caught eyes. He didn't look confident anymore. His big, hazel eyes became watery, and a few tears raced down his cheeks. He had taken off his jacket before preparing to restrain Chauncey, only to reveal a sweat-dampened shirt. With one hand, he reached for his ball cap and put it back on, lowering the top to cover his eyes. He looked as if he was preparing for something. He looked guilty. Chauncey began screaming and throwing violent fits, and if a complete stranger had entered the room at that moment, they would have chuckled to themselves before dismissing the scene as a film shoot. Father Elio asked us all to pray with him as he picked up a metal crucifix. We all did as he told us and prayed under our breaths, with the voice of the father leading. Chauncey twitched her head towards Uncle Roland, who was looking down at the mattress as he prayed. He tried to ignore her, and we all tried as well. Well, it would be more appropriate, but I could never bring myself to call my sister that. No matter how unrecognizable she was that night, I knew she was still in there. Chauncey spat on Uncle Roland's face. Pig, why don't you tell everyone here what you did last night? She looked around, scanning the room with a grin on her face. She looked like a child who was eager to share her newly found secret. Disgusting, folks. It's disgusting, she said while laughing, but in a deep voice akin to that of a heavy-built man. Uncle Roland looked as if he was ready to get up and leave, but he didn't, and thank God for that. Father Elio had warned us to confess all of our major sins. If not, he explained, then the unconfessed sin, having not been forgiven by God, could possibly be available to the demon for exposing, and not just before God, who sees all, but also before our fellow man. I, for one, confessed all my major sins that night in that kitchen. I haven't done much at age 17. That demon was torturing Uncle Roland, mentally. He wouldn't tell us what he had done that was so disgusting. Instead, Chauncey, or it, kept threatening to reveal his secret to the entire room, but would stop and say, maybe in another 30 minutes. The doorbell rang downstairs. Don't! Father Elio warned sternly. It's playing tricks, trying to distract us. No one is there. My dad stood near the open bedroom door, almost hiding behind it that he was so scared. Father Elio, Chauncey said suddenly. What about you? Nothing to hide? Hypocrite. You creatures are not so different, if not even worse than us. That's why God throws you in hell along with us. You're not above us. See? You're pathetic. Chauncey's eyes widened abnormally. Her mouth remained open as she cut herself off from finishing the sentence. Her thin eyebrows rose, and her head shifted slowly to the left. She was looking at my dad, our dad. The room fell silent, and it remained silent for a few moments, until Chauncey finally spoke. You sick bastard, she said with a mild chuckle. She opened her mouth as if to gasp. Like I said, folks... We aren't so different. My dad was shaking. Uncle Roland and John kept restraining, and Father Elio continued praying. Oh, oh, 
This one I shan't keep to myself. Nay, nay, I say. Chauncey yelled excitedly. Goodness, it was weird. Seeing my sister act like that, I knew it wasn't her. But it didn't fall to irk me anyway, she continued. Lucas, you're such a good boy. Look at you, all sparkling clean after your little confession downstairs. Then she looked straight at me, lowering her eyebrows. I'll get you next time. But for now, I want you to ask our dad Nathaniel, hiding behind the door, over there what I'm talking about. Lies! My dad suddenly screamed. Father of lies! Isn't that right, Elio? Isn't that right? The devil is a liar! He's a liar! How can we believe a word that comes out of his rotten mouth? How? My dad's reaction. It was very telling. He made the same face and had the same mannerisms of Uncle Roland and John, but more extreme. And although the devil is, indeed, the father of lies, our actions speak louder than anything that could have slithered out of that demon's mouth. Dad, are you okay? I asked. Whatever it says, we'll just ignore it, okay? I looked over at Uncle Roland and John. There was no need to look at Father Elio, who, throughout the exorcism, seemed disappointed in us. He did warn them to confess, after all. Nathaniel! Chauncey said tauntingly, Are you ready? My dad was pulling at his hair. His face was deep red, and spit came from his mouth with every word. He looked just as possessed as his daughter was that night. Screw off! Screw off! It's not true! Shut up! Dad, please, calm down! Just tell us what it is before she does! Get in front of this, Dad! I cried out. We ignored Father Elio and his repeated reminders not to speak with the demon. My dad fell to his knees, with a floorboard sounding a single, quiet creak. It was an accident, okay? I didn't mean to do it, but she made me so angry. Son, surely you know that. Surely you know I didn't mean to take your mother away from you. But, but she made me so angry, so freaking angry. We were in the garage one night, and that's when I had to do it. I was fed up, so I grabbed a hammer from the toolbox, and that was the end of it. To think I've been living under the same roof with a murderer, I'll spare you the rest, and in doing so, I will have spared myself. My dad's confession to murdering my mother was shocking, and my sister and I haven't recovered since. But it didn't have to happen. Demons are tricky. They're playful too, and if they can get you to admit to something wicked you've done, something that they didn't even know more about, it's all the more fun to them. After Dad had finished his half-sob and half-anger-induced confession, the demon spoke through my sister one last time before finally leaving. Nathaniel, I had no idea you murdered your wife, silly. I was just going to tell everyone about that one time when you used God's name in vain. Traditional exorcisms are overrated, and you should call me instead. Bye, Sarkar Koza. The sound of the wooden swings swayed as we exited the car. The gentle breeze helped me make the humid and sunny afternoon more tolerable, but still, the air remained thick. 
I could feel the sweat coming from my forehead as I stared at the two-story brick home before me. This was the right place. I checked my powder blue shirt to make sure no sweat had stained it. I wanted to look professional, as I shot Ducks a glance to see him looking over to me with a smirk on his face. Are you ready? He asked, as he turned his head studying the flower beds that laid in the yard. I suppose I am because this heat is killing me. First time in the bayou, eh? You should know it is because I had never been further than St. Louis until I got hooked up with you. He started to walk up to the pavement and then the porch. I followed, studying the red brick home and the windows. It was a charming home, one where you could tell the owners cared for appearances. The wind carried the swing again as I turned to look at it. It was hard to believe that something so awful could have happened to a child. Do you think she's lying? Ducks asked. Why would someone lie about something like demon possession? People like attention and want to feel special sometimes. Or they don't want to admit that there might be mental issues. I don't think that is the case for this one. It could be another Jack from Reno for all we know. That was a waste of time, even the Vatican knew he was full of shit, and we should have followed their lead. That was different, I responded. Jack was a drunk whose wife had left her for a car dealer. He thought that being possessed would bring his wife back to him. Well, she didn't come back, and it didn't end well for Jack. Ducks replied, while he stood next to the front door. He was right. The story of Jack from Reno did not end well. I also didn't want to rehash today. She sounded pretty convinced on the phone, Ducks. I walked on the stairs and knocked on the door. The two of us waited while I could hear footsteps coming from inside. After a moment, the door opened, revealing a woman. She in her early 40s, but attractive with blonde hair, but it was her eyes that caught me. They were a deep, dark blue that appeared soft and showed a sense of warmth. Are you Henry Page? She asked, curiously. I nodded. Yes, Mrs. Decker. Has anything else happened since we last spoke? Call me Lisa, please. And nothing outside of what I described since we got off the phone. Will you come in? We stepped inside the house into a foyer that was a cream color. I noticed a picture of the crucifixion on the left wall. The glass appeared to have a small crack in it. There was something else, though. It was frigid inside the home. It was much too cold for summer, even for me and where I was from. Can I offer you anything to drink? Lisa asked as she walked down past the staircase and through the hall. I looked over to Ducks, who shrugged, and we began to follow her. It amazes me that Southerners will still offer a bit of sweet tea while their child's soul is being flayed, Ducks quipped. No, I'm fine, I replied, trying to ignore Ducks' comment. I noticed another chill as I walked past the stairs. I looked up to see a bedroom door closed. It had a deadbolt attached to it, and it was locked tightly. Ducks looked upstairs as well, and had a puzzled look on his face. He could sense it as well. That would be the location of our demon. Come take a seat, Mr. Page, Lisa said. As the two of us walked inside, what I assumed to be the living room, the room was nice. It had white chairs and a couch, along with a coffee table sitting in the center. The bright summer afternoon poured the sunlight through two oversized windows behind the couch. I saw Lisa sitting next to a man. I assumed it was the father of the child. He was a plain-looking fellow, 
with black hair and olive skin. He looked of a defeated man. His shoulders slouched, and a face that carried exhaustion. He had hazel eyes from what I could tell, but he did not look over to me. He just gazed to the floor below. I took a seat across from them, while Duck stood closely behind me. When did your daughter start acting strange? Her name is Annabelle. The man mumbled. I apologize, Mr. Decker, but when did Annabelle begin acting strange? I asked again. It started a month ago after she came back from a vacation with her friend's family, Lisa answered. She seemed quiet at first and seemed to have lost interest in her usual activities. What kind of activities did Annabelle do? She mostly did soccer and spent time with her youth group. A religious youth group? I asked. Lisa nodded. Yes, they get together several times a week and study the Bible. Would you say she is very religious? I asked, as I looked over to her father. He seemed to be part distraught and annoyed with my questioning. I watched as he clenched his fist and lifted his head with tears in his eyes. I was right. His eyes were hazel. She is very devout, Mr. Page. He snapped. That explains why it latched onto her. Ducks chimed in. A young girl dedicated to Jesus is like well marble stake to a demon. A loud thud echoed through the room. It started to become colder, and a sound thundered from upstairs. The demon knew of our presence now. Where did she visit? I asked. She visited New Orleans, he replied. I knew she should have never went to such a godless place. Michael, please, this is not our fault. Lisa responded. I leaned back into my chair and watched as the father began to sob. Ducks was quiet, thankfully. The sound of scratching began to come from upstairs. It was frantic and aggressive. The demon was trying to spook us. But this was not the first time I had dealt with the demon, nor would it be my last. Has anyone seen her since this started happening? I asked. We asked our pastor to come to pray for her. Lisa responded. It was then we knew something was really wrong with her. What happened? Annabelle said something that shocked us all. The two parents looked at one another. Lisa looked nervous as if she was ashamed of what her daughter had said. She was taking it better than her husband was, who had started to weep uncontrollably. I smiled gently at her. I did not care what their daughter had said, and I wanted them to know I was not judging them. What did your daughter say? She told him that she had screwed his dead wife and that one day she would screw him too. Ducks let out a chuckle as I kept my eyes locked on the parents of Annabelle. I did not even want to acknowledge that he had found humor. I stood up from my chair and looked up at the ceiling to hear the scratching from upstairs. Take me to see your daughter, I said, as Duck smiled. He had become bored with all the talk. We were here for a reason, and that was to free the girl of the demon. We should consult with our pastor first, Michael said. You could. Or, you could save yourself some time while he stands idly by, out of his element, and tries to form a prayer circle. Your best bet is me, and I can have your daughter back before dinner. Duck smiled. It's about time you said something. I was getting bored with the sob stories. Lisa nodded and stood up from the couch. 
The three of us walked back to the staircase. She looked at Annabelle's door nervously as she began to climb the stairs. We slowly crept outside the room. Lisa's hand shook as she began to unlock the deadbolt and gently open the door. It was dark inside the room, but I could hear a faint giggle. It was wise for her to deadbolt the girl inside, Duck said dryly. They could have woken up with their precious little daughter shoving a kitchen knife into their chests. Sweetie, I've brought someone to see you, and he says he can help you. Lisa called out to a young teenager sitting on the floor. She looked much like her mother with hair and eyes. She wore dark pants and a white shirt that was stained. She smelled of urine and feces. No one can help me, especially not this person, she replied, as she showed us her blood-stained teeth. She had been biting herself and leaving teeth marks in her arms. I noticed a necklace on her with a small crystal on it. Where did she get the necklace, Lisa? I asked. She brought that home from a New Orleans trip. Did she say where she got it from? She said it was just some small shop in the French Quarter. She probably went into one of those New Age stores, and the moron inside didn't know they had a tethering crystal. Ducks chimed in. Probably sold it to the girl for ten bucks. That would be the source, I said, as I looked to Lisa. The little stone on her neck is the invitation, and that's why the demon came to her. A witch sold my baby an evil necklace? Lisa asked, with a look of confusion. I doubt they even knew what they had, I replied. As Annabelle smiled again, I stood in front of her and studied her for a minute. Lisa, will you please leave us be? I promise you this will not take long. She looked concerned. I will pray for all of you. Your god doesn't care about your little daughter. Annabelle laughed. I heard the door close. The three of us stood silently for the moment. The room was freezing, and it suddenly felt darker. Annabelle looked over ducks and studied him. She gave him a sinister smile and turned back to me. I know him. She snarled. I suppose you know what's next then. Ducks responded. I placed my hand around the young girl's throat. She began to cough as her eyes started to turn black. I always hated this part as a dark substance began to drip from her mouth. She began to convulse and tremble as the demon began to exit her body slowly. I watched as the last of the liquid left her mouth and began to drip onto my wrist. The spirit began to climb up to my upper arm and shoulder as I opened my mouth. It was always a bitter taste, but I had done this enough that I didn't gag anymore. I felt my body ache and my head began to pound. It always felt like I was getting hit by a truck for the first five minutes, but this one felt worse. It was more intense than the others I had absorbed. This one is wild, isn't it? Ducks grinned. Shut up, Ducks. I looked down to notice that Annabelle was looking from the ground at me. She looked scared. I knelt down and smiled at her. I'm not here to hurt you. Your mom asked me to help you, and now I will be leaving. Where are my parents? I will get them for you. Just hold on a minute, I said as I walked over to the door. Not even going to let the girl know you saved her from a demon, Henry? Ducks asked. Please, Dex, shut up. I snapped. Who were you talking to, mister? Annabelle asked, as I turned around to see Ducks standing behind her. 
his eyes a dark charcoal color, and his teeth brown and rotting, smiling at her. I am good at hiding the fact that I am possessed myself, but today, my partner has been a bit more annoying than usual. No one, Annabelle, I said calmly, as I watched Ducks walk over to me. He smiled his awful grin again and waited for me to open the door. It was time for us to move on to find the next demon. We had several more to go before the Legion was reunited. I was cleaning the attic and I found my uncle's notes. He was an exorcist in Saudi Arabia. By Zamaknar. I found these notes in one of my uncle's old Korans while cleaning the attic. I never knew he was an exorcist. After moving to western Massachusetts to live with us, he never talked about his life in Saudi Arabia. What you are about to read was translated by me from the original Arabic. They are the notes of my uncle, who apparently was an exorcist working in Taif, a mountain town about 40 miles from the holy city of Mecca. They concern the exorcism of his wife. Notes July 2nd, 1984 6.30 p.m. After many desperate phone calls from her mother, I met with Dahlia at the hospital. She is restrained on her bed. Her eyes are open, but she does not look at me. Her face is pale, and her hair is thinning. It seems she has lost weight as her body looks bony and frail. In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful, to protect me from any evil that may be present, I recite from the Holy Quran the following, the verse of the throne, the verse of dawn, the verse of mankind, and the verse of the true intention. When I'm done, Dahlia is looking at me, her mouth gaping. Dahlia, I want you to stop this. Your mother is crying. Have mercy on her and end this game now. Dahlia smiles. It's not the sweet smile I've come to know. Only her lips move. But her eyes stay fixed and wide. Inability to properly move facial muscles is a sign of possession. Give me what I want, and this will all end. The voice sounds exactly like Dahlia. Her facial expressions soften and return to normal. I still believe our marriage can work. What you believe will kill me. This is not the way to get my attention. Take pity on your mother at least. She's gone through enough. This was the only way to get your attention. Want to know how I did it? First, I prayed to Satan to send me one of his followers. When the jinn came, I let it go inside me. Dahlia, by God, what have you done? Then I let the jinn violate me. I let it screw me dry. Enough! You will not speak to your husband like this! It screwed me better than you ever did. Who knows? Maybe I'm carrying its child. I immediately left the room and asked one of the doctors if my wife is pregnant. A few minutes later, the attending tells me that she is not. I got back into the room. By God, I will not give up on you. It's clear to me that you are not possessed, and that this is another attempt to get me to agree to a divorce, but I will not. When you come to your senses, we will fix our marriage together. I turn to leave when a deep, guttural voice says, You killed my brother. I'm not sure where that voice came from. I don't know if Dahlia is capable of speaking with such a deep, throaty voice. I'm sorry? 
What do you mean by that? Her voice returned to normal. My brother loved a bit of mischief, but he didn't deserve what you did to him. Dahlia, you don't even have a brother. I'm not Dahlia. Her cheeks twitch when she talks, as if she can't control her facial muscles. Who are you? The brother of the one you killed. Who was your brother? You put him into a rat, remember? Dahlia shakes violently. A medical instrument in the room beeps. Foam seeps from her mouth. I rush out of the room to call for help. Doctors and nurses rush in. Dahlia had a seizure. I remain at the hospital for a few hours, hopeful that she will survive the night. July 5th, 1984, 9.15 p.m. The doctor informs me that Dahlia's condition has improved enough for me to return. I visit the hospital and Dahlia is still restrained. She looks even thinner, and her hair has bald spots. I recite verses from the Holy Quran for protection, and begin in the name of God. Dahlia, my dear, please tell me you are feeling better. We are not dears. We are as bitter enemies as we can be. You know, even the doctors here believe you are possessed. You should become an actress. An actress? As if a woman are allowed to be anything other than your pets. A woman cannot be herself, cannot even love whom she wants. I understand how you feel. I promise to be a better husband. If you don't like it here, we can move to America, where my brother and his family live. I'll do whatever it takes to make you happy. Dahlia glares at me and laughs. She won't stop laughing. She is hysterical. I leave the room to call the nurse, but as I do, her laughs get deeper. She starts speaking in that guttural voice again. Bring my brother back from hell. That will make me happy. Okay, Dahlia. You know that I perform many of my exorcisms with animals like rats. You know that I sometimes trap the jinn in the animal to free the human host. You trapped my brother in one of your rats. But what I didn't tell you is that I never, ever kill those animals. Perhaps you assumed that I do, and that's why you are making up this crazy story. Liar! I always keep the animals in a cage and give them to my shaykh. He then purifies them and sets them free. We never, ever kill anyone, whether human, rat, or jinn. That guttural laugh again. Lying is a sin, my dear. You put my brother in the rat, and you put that rat in a cage, and then you forgot the cage in the trunk of your car. He suffocated. You killed my brother, and now I'm going to kill your wife. I never told Dahlia about that incident. It happened six months ago, before our marital trouble started. Maybe she had seen the dead rat in the trunk and never mentioned it. If not, hidden knowledge is a sign of possession. What was your brother's name? What do you care? Why did he possess that little boy? Doesn't matter why. If you're really a jinn, you'll tell me. So you can exercise me too? I'll kill your wife before that. I'll kill you. Then, I'll kill any family you have left. Dahlia starts shifting in her bed. Her arms are so thin. She slips out of her restraints. Before I can stop her, 
She stabs her eye with a syringe. She didn't even flinch. Blood gushes from her socket. Unflinching eyes are a sign of possession. I hold Dahlia down and shout for help. July 8th, 1984, 4 o'clock p.m. With the permission of my shike, I come to the hospital to perform the exorcism. I'm told Dahlia is weak and still recovering, but despite the doctor's appeals to let her rest, I cannot wait any longer. Dahlia's eyes is bandaged. Her new restraints don't allow for any arm or leg movement. She notices me immediately. My baggage is, please, my dear husband, would you witch it for me? I begin in the name of God. I put down a box with a Deathstalker scorpion inside. Dahlia stares at it, eyes gaping. What is that? This is where you're going. Why not something harmless, like a bunny? Aren't you afraid that it'll sting you? The scorpion would sting me, anyway. That's its nature, and that's your nature also. Your nature's align. That's why I can put you there. You calling my brother a rat? To begin the exorcism, I put on white gloves. I place my hand on my wife's head and begin in the name of God. I recite the verse of the throne from the Quran. God, there is none worthy of worship but he, the living, the self-sustaining, the eternal. No slumber can seize him, nor sleep. His are all things in the heavens and on earth. My wife shouts as I recite, a sign that exorcism is working. Admit it! Admit it! Admit the reason I hate you! I recite the verse of mankind. I take refuge with the Lord of mankind, the King of mankind, and the God of mankind, from the evil of the slinking whisperer, who whispers evil into the hearts of mankind, from among jinn and mankind. Just two more verses to go. Admit the reason I invited the jinn inside me, the hateful jinn that hates you too. His brother was just being a little mischievous. He didn't want to hurt the boy. He was just having a bit of fun. But you killed him. Somehow, Dahlia spits in my face. It's full of phlegm and smells of blood. I wipe off the spit and keep going. I recite the verse of Dawn. I take refuge with the Lord of Dawn from the evil of that which he created and from the evil of darkness when it settles. Only the verse of true intention is left. You know I don't love you. You know I love another. You know I committed adultery. You know it. You saw us and you still won't let me go. I stop before reciting the final verse. Adultery? What are you talking about? You saw it with your own eyes. You won't accept that it happened. Don't talk like that. I never saw any such thing. Dahlia laughs, deep and guttural. She continues to speak in that voice. You came home for lunch, something you rarely do. You saw your wife with her best friend, Hawa. They were naked in your bedroom. The sight of another girl on top of your wife made you hard. No, nothing like that ever happened. You kept watching through the slit of the door. You touched yourself, and you liked it. Then, like a shamed coward, you pretended it never happened and went back to work. Lies! 
You were never there for me. You never touched me anymore. You never showed me any love. So I found someone who would. If only you'd given me a divorce. Hawa and I could have left this prison of a country and found a way to be together. But because you'd never let me go, I did this to myself. So you would truly understand how much you made me suffer. You can't stop me, deceiver. I placed my hand on Dahlia's head to recite the final verse. My wife's eyes turn. They are only whites. She gags like she's about to throw up. Vomit spews out of her mouth and she chokes on it. I burst out of the room and shout for a doctor. The hospital staff rush in. They wheel my wife to the surgery ward. Hours later, I am told my wife had a stroke. She was oxygen deprived for 10 minutes before being revived. She is now brain dead. The doctor informs me she will experience whole body death in a few days. Whether to keep her on life support is up to me. I am in shock and cannot decide what to do. July 9th, 1984, 2 o'clock AM. My wife is lying down in the hospital bed. A brain dead woman has no need for restraints, tubes, and instruments keeping her body alive. You were right. I didn't want to admit what I saw. I thought it would just all go away. If I pretended it never happened. I hear a creaking noise, as if Dahlia's bed rattled, but I don't see anything unusual. I then notice that I left the scorpion in the box in the room. It lies limp. I shake the box. It's clearly dead. You were not happy with me. All you could do was run back to your mother's house, but you were never free to love whom you wanted. You couldn't even leave the country because they wouldn't have let you without my permission. I stand close to look at my wife. One last time, Dahlia sleeps peacefully. I should have given you the divorce. I'm sorry, Dahlia. To God, we belong, and to him we return. May God forgive me for what I did to you. My wife's mouth opens, as does her one eye. Her cheeks twitch and her mouth contorts in a twisted half-smile. She raises her hand and points her finger at me, wide-eyed and mouth-gaping. Dahlia? Her body falls down in bed. I call the doctor. He reviews the instruments and tells me there was no brain function. Movements without brain function. A sign of possession. End notes. I was shocked when I read these notes. My uncle died earlier this year. He was a kind man, but very secretive. I never even knew he had a wife. I still don't know what to think. I've asked my father about it. All he said was that my uncle's wife was sick and died, and he never remarried. The worst part is, the last page of the notes is ripped in half, as if there were more. I've searched through all my uncle's belongings, but can't find the bottom half of the page. It worries me, because the way my uncle died, the night of his death, he placed my hand on his head and begged me to recite four verses from the Quran, the same four verses he mentioned in his notes when performing the exorcism of his wife. But right before I could read the last verse, the verse of true intention, he begged me to stop, and a few minutes later, he died. This was the same verse he failed to recite during the exorcism. His last words were, Don't keep me alive. Not sure what it means, but my uncle made sure that in the event of brain death, he was not to be kept alive. Why this was so important to him, must have something to do with that missing half of the page. 
My uncle once told me that the jinns are everywhere and that they can see us, even though we can't see them. He also said that the jinns can possess humans, but when they do, you'll always notice imperfections, like a smile that doesn't seem right. The jinn will also make the human host physically and mentally sick. My uncle suffered from muscular degeneracy, which is eventually what killed him. He never could smile right. He also suffered from depression and needed constant care. Now, everywhere I go, I get the sense that someone or something is watching me. I can't shake this feeling. Some nights, I can't even sleep. I keep thinking about that last half of the page. I keep wondering if my uncle died with a jinn inside him, and maybe that jinn is now watching me. Maybe it's not done carrying out vengeance on my family. Maybe I'm next.